So bringing back something this week, we were doing Psalms for a while before the sermons and just bringing them in. And I just was reading back over recent stuff and just got struck by this Psalm again. So I was just hoping that you guys would, would read it through with me. It'll come up on your screens. But we're going to look at Psalm 103 and just have the chance to read this through. And I'm going to move slightly closer to my laptop because my eyesight is not that good. I hope you guys are all right. But let's read it. It says this. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. It's this call to get back, to praising him, putting him in his rightful place. Just love that psalm, remembering who he is, who he is. And this is really the, the topic for today, and it, it's one of those ones, I hope the line stays with you. So I'm going to bring it in in that fashion. But today, we're going to talk about the choice to rejoice, the choice to rejoice, and actually, how do you respond in hard times? How do you respond to suffering as a person and looking at the choice to rejoice? And that is something that we're going to run through this morning, have a brief rundown around that. So it should be a really good morning. I'm looking forward to this one. So hopefully we're there, you know, I'm prayerfully. But I'm going to start off by going back to, um, back to one of the verses that's really been a crux, a crux for me during lockdown, actually. And throughout the last year, I've absolutely loved this verse. It's come up for me so often. It's ridiculous from a book I had barely read <laughs> pre-lockdown. I've probably spent more time in it during lockdown than at any other point in my life. And actually, I have sat in on so many meetings where this verse has come up. Um, and it's, it's been wonderful. But I just want to read it to you one more time as a reminder of, of the hope that is there on the other side of trouble. And it's Hosea 2, verse 15, talking about Israel. But I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. And this promise that actually 
when trouble exists, when trouble is there. And isn't it weird that as Christians, we so often have this view of trouble that actually as life is really difficult, somehow God ceases to be God if that happens. It's a very Western worldview, but this idea that God is there to make my life good. And if my life isn't good, and if things are going wrong, then God has somehow ceases to be God because He's not doing His job. And the ironic thing is, biblically, there are so many places in the Bible where the Bible just points out, you will go through suffering. Rejoice in your sufferings, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will transform the valley of trouble. I will lay a table for you in the presence of your enemies. There's just line after line after line after line of when life is really, really hard, this. And actually, I think you would have to make almost half of the Bible redundant if we were going to hit the point of saying, actually, if life's hard, then God ceases to be God. Because so much text is devoted to when life is hard, do this. When life is hard, God is here. Because there's just this acknowledgement throughout the text that life gets hard. And I don't know about you guys, but 2020 has been a weird year. It has been a weird year. There's been moments of good in this year. I'm not going to pretend like it's been all bad. That has not been the case for me, certainly. But there's been moments of real struggle, too. And I think that when you start to talk about 2020 and think, man, with the isolation, the restrictions, obviously COVID-19 that's caused all that, illness for people, there's been death of people that we know and love. Actually, the unemployment that's hit, the impact on the economy, and not just in the UK, but worldwide, it's been a really hard year. But then when you start to make things even more personal than that, I know for so many, the personal circumstances and the stories go beyond that. And it's been really, really tough. And there's something in those places where if I'm going to put up a line like the choice to rejoice, before we start to talk that through, I just want to acknowledge (laughs) that that choice isn't necessarily easy. And nor does it always feel like the natural decision. I think it's one of these things we can often talk about faith as in like, oh man, as long as you have faith, everything will be fine. And although there's truth to that statement, it doesn't mean it always feels like it. And making right decisions in those valleys of trouble can take real maturity and real intentionality. I just want to acknowledge that before we go on to what we're talking about. But I want to start and what we're talking about today by asking these two questions. Um, for me, the two just hugely important questions, but let me read them. When life gets really hard, what is your heart's response? What is your heart's response? And what are the lasting effects of hard times that you've been through on your heart? Do you know, when we start to talk about this, I'm not talking about an emotional response, right? I want to bring that in initially. Because I can walk down the hallway at night in the dark and stub my toe and sometimes words I shouldn't say come out or I make a noise that wakes the kids up or whatever else, right? That happens. And actually, that's an emotional initial response to an incident. They will just happen. But what I'm more getting at with this is what's your heart's response? It goes a lot deeper than that. It goes a lot deeper than this just hurts, so I'll cry for a while and then I'm not crying anymore. It goes to that stage of actually, do you become a person who is defined by the hope you have in Christ, or who is defined by the hurts and disappointment and suffering you've been through? Do you become someone whose heart is a place of positivity, hope, belief, and love, looking towards the future? Or do you become a person whose heart is full of resentment and bitterness and disappointment and pain? 
Do you become somebody whose walls go up so that there's no vulnerability and no place for real relationship to happen anymore? Or are you somebody who's still willing to be vulnerable and go out and love again, even though it might have hurt last time? What is your heart's response when life gets really hard? It'll define the kind of person you become. It'll define your hope. It'll define your joy in life. It'll start to take hold of all of that stuff. If you let bitterness take hold at the very core of who you are, you're going to be defined by it. And there is a choice to rejoice in those places. It still exists. It might be hard to find, and it might be hard to get through, but the choice to rejoice is still there. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to acknowledge that it's not easy. I want to acknowledge that when life gets really hard, I am not just sitting here saying, smile, it will all be okay. That is not what I'm doing. But I am saying that we can be defined by the times we go through in so many different ways. And there is a choice to rejoice in those times. And how we end up on the other side of that is worth it. We're going to look at a a book this morning in particular. We're going to look at the book of James. Um, the book of James is a book that I absolutely love, I've got to be honest. I really like challenge, though. For those of you guys who attend this church regularly, you'll know I quite like saying challenging things. And actually, I like being challenged in my own faith. I don't like sitting still. And actually, for me, the book of James is a really good one, and I've always enjoyed it because there's so much in it that just goes, right, this is what to do. You know, don't do that, do do that. This is what being a Christian looks like, that isn't. And it can be very black and white. But just to give you a little bit of an overview of it, obviously James was Jesus' brother, and when Jesus had done his kind of ministry and ascended the church where he was from, James then became the leader of. And unlike Paul, who then wrote lots of letters to different churches all around the place and said, like, this is what to do in this specific situation, so he'd be like, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Ephesus, it wasn't that kind of stuff. The letter of James is much more, this is just for everyone. It's kind of, I'm just opening it up. This is, if you're a Christian, do this. It's not specific to your church standpoint. This is just to everyone. And it's very much like that. And it's influenced primarily by two things with one main intention. The way that the book is written, I got to be honest, one of the reasons I like it is because of this. One of the reasons a lot of people struggle with it is because of this. But the book of James is basically written to get in your business and to really get in your face about your faith life. There is so much in it that is just there to challenge you. And right in your face going, this is okay or this is not okay. And to really give you, I would say, a nice proverbial Christian boot up the backside. It's a little bit like that, the book of James. But it's influenced by two main things. One is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And really focusing in on that line of when Jesus says, actually, the previous commandments can be upheld in these. So all the laws of the Torah, and if you know your your scripture and all that kind of stuff. Torah's first five books of the Bible, which were the Jewish law books. And Jesus comes and says, actually, all 631 laws contained within those books can be defined in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you do that, then you're keeping God's law. And Jesus comes and says that. And James takes that very seriously. He takes that very seriously. And the other big influence in the book is the book of Proverbs. And actually, because of that, it's written very in that fashion of short wisdom teaching, paragraphs and little sections that are short, but just say, this is what to do, this is what to do, this is what to do, based on those two things and understandings. It's a phenomenal book. 
It's not very long, so if you've never really engaged with it, take the time. It is fantastic. But we're going to look at a passage from James 1 today, and it is verses 12 to 18. And as we talk about this, we're really going to look at this idea of what James is calling us to, that it's loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as you love yourself, be wise in what you do. And then he would even go as far to say that the outflow of knowing you love God in your life is that you are obedient to the teachings of Jesus. It's hard to disagree with him on that. I think it would be hard to claim that you love anything in life if your life didn't then reflect that. You know what I mean? I've had conversations with people in the past that have been really weird because a lot of you guys know I'm a big basketball fan. In Scotland, there's not many of us, and I actually keep up with the NBA. There's even less of us that do that. And actually, when I start talking to people about basketball, a lot of the time over here, you get folk going, oh, yeah, I'm a massive basketball fan. I'm always like, oh, fantastic. I found a friend. Let's be friends. And then we kind of sit down, and I'm like, oh, man, so who do you support? Who do you follow? Who's your favorite player? And what comes out straight away is, I think I kind of follow the Bills, and Michael Jordan's my favorite player. And I'm always left sitting there going, that's okay, but I think Michael Jordan retired when I was 12. You know, and I'm kind of going, I'm not 12 anymore. And actually, if you're claiming to love something, it's a weird statement to say you love something if you don't know anything about it. You know, to say that you love basketball because you've watched Space Jam doesn't make a lot of sense. To say that you love Jesus because you've heard that it's a good thing to do and it might stamp your ticket to heaven, but it doesn't affect your life at all. It's a really weird statement to make. And I think the evidence of anything in life that you love it is that it affects your life. I challenge you to say that the thing that you love the most in the world doesn't cost your money, take your time, and take up a lot of your thinking. It will absolutely do those things. And if you love something, that's the effect it will have on your life because you become devoted to it when you love something. And James really comes from that angle of if you love Jesus, his teachings will affect your life. It just will. The way you love other people will change as a result. The way you behave will change as a result. The decisions you make with your resources will change as a result. And if they don't change, James would go as far as say, well, I really question the statement that you love him. We're going to look at a passage in James 1 today. It should come up on your screen now. We're going to have a wee read through this together and a chat about it on the other side. But it says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. What a passage, right? What a passage. I love it. This idea that actually blessed are you when you persevere under trial. Why? Because trial is going to happen. And when you persevere under it, what happens? Well, I want to really challenge you on that. Because I've got to be honest, in my life, when times have got really hard, when I persevere in being with God throughout those times, do you know what happens? My character changes to be more like that of Jesus. That's what happens. Because if you want to look for an example of anybody who persisted in love 
under ridiculously unfair circumstances to show the love of God to people. I can't think of anybody better than Jesus, mainly because there isn't one. And actually, as we're called to emulate Him in our character, then loving through trials, loving through unfair circumstances, persevering through hard times, that's just part of it. It was His life. That was the disciples who followed Him. That was their life. I mean, James himself was martyred not long after he wrote this book. It was just part of the early life of the disciples, this idea of suffering for something that is greater. And actually, they would even go to the extent of calling it an honor to suffer for Christ. Their perspective on it is God has deemed me good enough to actually suffer for His name's sake. What an honor that is. And actually, in the position where we are standing for Jesus and genuinely standing for Him and life gets hard, that choice to rejoice of God, I'm still going to choose to honor you. Why? Because, as we've read recently in Romans 5, and I'm actually going to pick up my Bible and read from this. Romans 5, 1 to 5 has been another passage that has come up, but this is it here. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And then this is the bit I want you to pay attention to. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who He's given us. Guys, do you know, the hope that we have doesn't diminish because of circumstances, it increases. Because as we persevere through those circumstances, God develops our character to be more like that of Jesus. How many times does the Bible tell us to be imitators of Christ? For our characters to develop to be more and more like the Savior we choose to follow. And actually, as we persevere, it does what? It shaves off our character. We go through that pruning process. We end up more like Him. As we end up more like Him, what happens? We rejoice because that's phenomenal. And then we become more hopeful because we know that no matter what life throws at us, there's light on the other side. That the valley of trouble turns into a gateway of hope. That though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because He's with us. That that's what it does. It brings us to a point where there is hope, there is joy, and none of that has changed. See, the thing is, God doesn't change. He never does. He always loves us. He's always good. No matter what life throws at us, that doesn't change. It does not change. And persisting is so hard. And James starts to approach the paradox. And the way he approaches it is wonderful. He starts to talk and say, actually, I rejoice in suffering. Why? Because as I rejoice in suffering, I become more like Jesus. And that's the end goal of my life. So he's saying, actually, when these times come, there's reasons for me to hope. Why? Because if I learn what it is to love and hope and life feels like that, man, I'm much more like Jesus than when I started this process. And that doesn't mean that we wish for suffering to hit our life, but it doesn't mean we run when it does. And actually, the even more wonderful thing is that Jesus doesn't just leave us to get through it on our own. He gives us the Holy Spirit to equip us with everything we need to get through. That he says, actually, when suffering comes, as you persist, the Holy Spirit will enable you to get through and love the way I do. And when you come out the other side of that, you will have been refined. 
And actually, how do they phrase it in the Bible time and time again? Hebrews 12, what we looked at when I had the LeBron picture up. As we persevere through faith and keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And who is he? The author and perfecter of our faith. What does James call him? The perfecter of our faith later in chapter 1. Why is he called that? Because he realizes that as we honor him and as we choose to persist with him, our faith is made complete as we persist through those times. It starts to refine us as we go through times and continue to persist and continue to love. When times are difficult and we say, God, I am not downplaying that at all, but you are still worth it. You are still awesome. You are still amazing. I still love you so much, and I still rejoice at the fact you're with me in this time. Well, then we become people through the darkest valleys who are full of life, full of love, and full of hope. See, life circumstances have the opportunity to shape us and define us, but we get a choice in what way. We can become bitter. We can become grumpy. And that is the easy choice. Persistent in faith is hard. Persistent to believe that God is good when it doesn't feel like it is hard. Trusting that the Holy Spirit is enough and seeing how we come out on the other side is the best journey you'll ever go on. It really is. And this is where that kind of thing, I know for the daft kids talk, but at the same time, be a peach, not an orange. We don't segment it off when life gets difficult. We stay devoted to the rock at the core of who we are. Do you know, I heard something recently that I loved, and I just want to share it with you. If we realize the value that God has put on us as people, then it's really hard to get down. If you know how loved, how special, how important, how valuable you are to Him, it's really hard to see yourself in a different light. But there's a journey to acknowledging that. And this is one of the things that I got told, and I love this, so I want to pass it on. It was this. If you're asked to introduce yourself, you'll probably say certain things about yourself, right? If I was sitting here this morning and it was like, Ross, I want you to introduce yourself to us. And I'd be like, hey, I'm Ross. Uh, I work at Goldbridge Parish Church. I'm the youth pastor here. I'm married. I have two kids, another one on the way. Uh, I really like basketball music. And yeah, I'm all right. You know, it might be how I introduce myself. And then the next task that they gave is, now what I want you to do is imagine you're in a room of people that you don't know that well, and now you have to introduce yourself, but as if you were talking about your best friend. So let's say you were in that room and you had your best friend next to you, and you were the one introducing them, because the way that we would talk about them would be so much more positive. They said, actually, talk about them in that same light, but do that about yourself. And I'm kind of sitting there going, man, if I was doing that, the way that I would introduce my best friend, I might say something online, say, hey, this is Ross. He's a great dad, loves his kids to bits. He's got time for you. He's a really, really nice guy, actually. He really loves Jesus. And he's got a devotion to people around him that, that really matters. And I really appreciate that about him. And actually, that might be how I would introduce me if I was my best friend. If I'm introducing myself, I'd never say that. And the funny thing is that moving towards an acknowledgement of who we actually are in Christ is where this journey is. Acknowledging the value in the person that you are. By being honest about yourself, we're all our own biggest critics. But actually, if we're going to be defined by hope, I have to believe God made me. He made me with a purpose. He made me on purpose. He made me the way I look. He made me the way I am with my character traits, with all of that stuff. That actually, he made me be a daft Scottish person who wanted dreadlocks. You know, that's who he made me. And when you come down to it and get past all of that, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He made me awesome, and he's proud of me 
He even rejoices over me with singing. And do you know the other thing? It's where me and God disagree. Do you know what's funny? He's right. It's amazing how often in my life I feel like I disagree with God internally on stuff. But working to that acknowledgement of going, do I honestly think I'm brighter than him? Of course I'm not. Get into that place of acknowledgement. If I disagree with him on something about me, he's right. I got work to get there. Speaking the truth, honoring him, and persisting when life is hard to love him because he is good. And no matter how I feel, there's an incredible value on me because of who I am in Christ. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. And the funny thing is with James and all of this stuff, as we persist in love, as we become people defined by the hope that we have, who persevere, moving towards that crown of life at the end, as we do that, and this idea of being the first fruits of all creation, what does that mean, that sentence at the end? Do you know what I think it means? It's a new way to be human. The first fruits of the new humanity. What's normal humanity in a sense? When we go through hard times, we become defined by them. Life is difficult, we get grumpy and bitter. Actually, do you know the thing for me? Is I always think like this. Who are the kind of average neighbors nearby where I live? If I'm choosing to honor Jesus, my life should not look like theirs. It should just look different. The way I hope my character, how I'm defined by love, I should look different. I can't see much in Jesus' teaching that if I live that out, my life would look similar to the way an average person lives in Scotland today. I shouldn't. My life should look different. And being this first fruits over all creation is being someone who is hopeful, who is filled with love, who is filled with peace, who is filled with joy. No matter what life circumstances hit, persist to be that person. You start to look at the disciples. I think they had a purpose and a joy in life that few had had before them, if any. And having lived like that, as persecution comes, they're under threat for their life. I can't see them moaning about it. They just continue to love and continue to persist by the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the life they've been called to, even to the point of death, knowing that even in death, all that happened was they meant to be with Jesus. They still win. And they had a freedom and a joy in life that got rid of their fear. And they were this new humanity that society around them looked at and just went, there is something drastically wrong with these people. And then after investigating what it was, many of them joined the movement. When people look at your life, do they think there's something wrong with you because of the way you hope? Because of the way you love? Because of how positive you are? Because that's, when you're defined by Christ, it's part of you. It is part of you. Here's the thing. I'm going to bring up a slide now, but so what's the truth? The truth of it is, and I think the reason why James talks about this idea of us being in a position where going through trials is a blessing is because of this. Difficulties force us to make a decision. Ever find that? It's really hard to sit on the fence faith-wise when you've got a big issue in your life. You can't do it. You've got to decide, am I going to walk with God at the moment or am I not? You know, it's really hard to sit on the fence in a relationship if somebody's down on one knee in front of you asking you to marry them. You can't do that anymore. You need to decide I'm all in or I'm all out at that stage. And actually, so often in faith, when difficulties come and when life gets hard, we're left in that place where it's like, well, make a decision. What are you going to do? Are you going to choose to believe God and to go with Him at this time? Or are you going to choose to withdraw? Are you going to trust Him or are you going to withdraw from Him? 
Are you going to accuse God for the circumstances you're going through? Are you going to draw near to Him? Are you going to rejoice at the fact that He is still with you, He is still good, He is still generous, and He still loves you? Are you going to go better about the fact that life has been difficult? And really, are you going to be a regular, normal human? Are you going to choose to be the first fruits of this new way to be human? And that's really the choice that's laid in front of you and the choice that's laid in front of all of us. And the wonderful thing about God's love is this. He won't force you to make either decision either way. It's your call. But the best thing about him is this, that if you choose to honor him and step towards him, he'll give you everything you need to get there. That as you choose to persist, the Holy Spirit will be with you, that he's enough, that as we're promised in the Bible, he'll equip you with everything you need to live a godly life today, that that's on offer. But it's as we choose to honor him that that becomes a reality in our life. Let me just summarize in this way. The book of James would summarize it very like this. We're called to speak with love. We're called to serve the poor. And we're called to be holy, devoted to God. To be a peach, not an orange, right? That's exactly it. And let's make that choice to rejoice. He hasn't changed. And I don't want to downplay that choice to rejoice. Like I said at the start, life can be really difficult. I am acutely aware of that. But at the same time, that choice still exists. And it's there for all of us. And as you make that choice to rejoice, the life that you're looking for in Christ, you will have more and more and more and more of that as you step towards him in those places. Choose to trust. He's better than you think he is. Choose to persevere. It'll change your character. And as you choose to love in the midst of those hard times, you will become defined by a future hope that no matter what this life throws at me and no matter how hard it is, I can still overflow with the love of Christ in my life. And in the end, I'm going to be with him and I'm going to be saved. And he's going to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And it is going to be the best moment in my life. And I'm not taking my eyes off that goal. I want to persevere and trust. And like I said earlier, it's not about that emotional response of when you first stub your toe and shout something you shouldn't. It's really what damage is there in your heart from hurt that's happened. And how can you choose to rejoice and believe in those places so you can be defined by the hope you have in Christ? Do you know, we'd had, um, we'd had an interesting time over lockdown. I had one week that had been really, really tough. And coming out of the house this week was really funny, right? I just stepped outside, was coming up to church, and as I stepped outside, I was unlocking the car, and my two girls were standing at the end of my driveway looking at me. And it was just one of those moments, you know when you actually take the time to look up? And I looked up, it was just one of those moments where I was like, thank you, God. You know, and just a reminder of his promises and how good he is. And I'm going to put a picture up at the moment that I'll just show you, okay? And this was what I walked out my house to. Um, and it was one of those moments where I'm standing at my car, about to walk into my car, and my two girls are at the end of the driveway. And I just look up, and there's this. It's, honestly, the picture doesn't do it justice, but it was the brightest rainbow I've ever seen in person. It was just completely full over the top of them, with the two of them standing there smiling at me, going, look, Dad! And I'm like, what's up? And kind of look over, and it was just one of those moments of, do you know what, God? Your promises are still good. There is hope in these circumstances. There's light on the other side. And there always is. There always is. The God we serve is always with us. Always. He will never leave you. 
or forsake you. And no matter how difficult it feels, and no matter how hard it is, that choice to rejoice is there for you. And as you choose to do that and draw close, He is enough. I promise He is enough. But you'll never get to find that out if you bail when it's tough. Draw close. Honor Him. Love Him. Rejoice in what He's done for you. And just watch how good He is. He will, as you persevere, He will develop your character. He will bring hope. And you will become a person defined by being the first fruits of this new way to be human. Not defined by the past hurts that you've been through. Or the current hurts that you might be going through. He is much better than you think He is. Guys, let's pray. Let's pray.